Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Last week, uh, man, Pastor James tackled a, uh, a, a controversial passage, to say the least. There are a few things uh, in the Christian church that bring more confusion and consternation than talking about marriage and divorce, man. Like, so, um, but we've, we've been grateful to hear that that message has been uh, beneficial to, to many of you. We're actually continuing in the same passage of Scripture today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 19. Man, Jesus here goes from one hard saying to another. And uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, what might seem to be a very odd statement by Jesus. And we're going to be asking the question, why did Jesus say it's good to be a eunuch? Why did Jesus say it's good to be... Odd question, right? Odd question. I know. I know. I'm really looking forward to the question today, or uh, addressing this question today, because singleness, as we'll see Jesus means when we get into our passage, is something that's near and dear to my heart. Now, those of you who know me know I'm I'm married, uh, and very happily so, but I haven't always been married, and um, I very much remember when I was like 28 years old, I hadn't hadn't, uh, come back to the Lord out of just craziness in my life uh, for very long. And I had recently returned to the church after just years away from the church. And I was now at home in the family of God through Christ. And, but when I went back to church, I did not feel at home as a, as a single man. I felt ostracized in, in, in the church. Um, I felt alone in life in general. I, I wanted a wife. But then when I went to the church, supposed to be the family of God, I felt alone there as well. We'll get back to that in just a little bit, but I want to go ahead and get into our passage. Uh, Matthew 19 will be in verses 3 through 9. Now, for context, we're going to back up and look at those verses that Pastor James was in last week. Remember, we said that in properly understanding the Bible, context is king. It's super important to understand the context in which things are taught and said. So let's back up. We're just going to read quickly through those uh, verses that we went through last week for context. Verse 3 says, And Pharisees came up to him, that him, Jesus, and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whomever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now, 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 having heard what Jesus just taught about sexual uh, immorality and marriage and divorce... And those sorts of things, look at how the disciples respond in the next verse. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Now, so what are the disciples saying? They're like, well, Lord, listen, if if this thing of marriage like locks us in in that that kind of way, it's better to be single. That's what they're saying. 
if this be the case with a man and his wife, it's better to not be married. Um, well, indeed, I would say if you aren't willing to follow God's precepts and love your spouse as he would have you love your spouse, you should remain unmarried. Don't, don't have a spouse if you're not going to love her as Jesus would have you, or him as Jesus would have you do so. But um, let's take a look at Jesus' response to the disciples' response in verse 11. So let's back up, recap. Jesus teaches us about marriage and divorce, and the disciples are like, man, you're serious about marriage and divorce. Like, that's, that's a serious thing. It's better for us to be single then. And so Jesus responds in verse 11, but he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it's given. Now, he's seeing that obviously the disciples are having a really hard time with this really hard teaching about the really high value that God places on the covenant of marriage. It's a, it's a sanctified thing. It's a holy thing. And so Jesus says, look, man, not everybody can receive this teaching. Let's continue. Verse 12, he says, for, or as evidence that not everyone can receive this teaching, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have, been, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who's able to receive this, receive it. Now, most commentators agree that Jesus is using the term eunuchs here in the metaphorical sense, not in the anatomical sense, right? He's, he's making a metaphor, not a literal sense. Eunuchs here are being, uh, is being used to describe those who are celibate. Someone who's celibate is someone who abstains from sexual relations. And someone, uh, since the Bible says that sexual relations is only for the marriage, then therefore those who aren't married would be celibate in this Scenario, they would be abstaining from sexual relations. And so Jesus says that there are some who are celibate from birth. That is, they've had some congenital defect or some other natural thing that keeps them from participating in sexual relations. He says there are some that are celibate because they've had celibacy forced upon them, even either by like in that culture, sometimes when people were taken in as, as slaves, they were made eunuchs or, or celibate. Um, or maybe some kind of punishment by law. They were being punished for something and made celibate, or some other outside force. Jesus says some people are like that. And then he gets to his actual response for the disciples. He says, still others have made themselves celibate, key in your mind, for the sake of the kingdom of God. And like I said, that seems to be Jesus' core response here. Um, Jesus says, man, look, since God is so serious about marriage, he's saying that if it's better to not, to not marry and remain celibate if you won't honor God in marriage. Right? He's saying, don't, don't go into a marriage and dishonor God because marriage is a thing of God. So if you're, if you're going to do that, don't do it. Be celibate. And Jesus says, sure, that's a tough teaching, man. That's hard too. And so he says, not everyone can receive that. Um, if you can't receive that teaching, you should get married. Uh, they would honor God. They, they shouldn't get married. Um, they would honor God more by choosing to be celibate. But listen, it's not as though choosing celibacy is an easy thing, is it? Right? Uh, that's why Jesus says, let the one who's able to receive that receive it, right? Um, he say, look, man, marriage is hard, but so is celibacy. And all the singles said, amen, right? This is a hard thing. Um, Celibacy is a difficult thing, and it, it, just because you choose celibacy 
for the kingdom of God, it's still difficult. Like it's still a hard thing uh, to do. Uh, And the reason that it's a hard thing to do is because by and large, uh, human beings aren't meant to be alone. We are, um, remember that marriage uh, is an institution by God. In fact, it was the first and most fundamental institution God ever gave humanity, the institution of marriage. Uh, Remember, God says uh, himself at the creation account, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he made woman for him. This is uh, uh, the unity of a man and woman in marriage is God's design. So, by and large, that's how we're designed to operate. That's why you may be finding uh, celibacy and singleness a difficult thing to do. But, but wait a minute. Jesus clearly also points to in our passage that choosing celibacy can be a very good thing. Celibacy is not an evil thing in and of Itself, He said it could be a glorious good when it's done for the kingdom of God. Do you guys think about it? Didn't Jesus fit this category? Didn't Jesus choose to be single and, and celibate? Um, so it can't possibly be sinful to be single because Jesus chose to be single. Um, the question is, why did Jesus choose celibacy? For the glory of God, for the kingdom of God. Now, one of the principles we talked about in accurately interpreting the Bible is allowing Scripture to be the best interpreter of Scripture. In other words, let uh, Scripture interpret Scripture means we believe that God wrote a book called the Bible. And so when we're reading a passage, we come across a difficult passage. The best thing we can do is see what else the Bible has to say about the topic in that passage. Because the Holy Spirit chose to write this book. He, He wrote it through human beings. True. But he superintended those human beings in such a way that God's Word is going to be holistic and not contradict itself. So we can let Scripture interpret Scripture. We come to a difficult passage, some weird nuance, like, okay, I need to, I need to you know, when in doubt, zoom out. <laughs> zoom out and take a look at what, God, what else God has said about this topic. And so we do that. We let His Word interpret His Word. You follow me? Does that make sense? Okay. So one of the best passages to go to in order for us to see how celibacy i.e. deliberately um, choosing singleness can be used for the kingdom of God is 1 Corinthians 7. Go ahead and flip over there. 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, In the context here, verses 6 through 7 is where we're going to be. The Apostle Paul is talking about marriage. And remember, context is king. We've got to use it to properly interpret what we're looking at. In this context that we're going to read, the Apostle Paul is talking about marriage. And in verse 6, he says this. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Now, let's, let's be reminded, Paul was a single man. Paul was a single guy. And he's saying that he wishes everybody were single, but each has his own get or her gift from God. Each has their own gift. So that brings up a question that we'll uh, digest uh, in a little bit uh, more detail in just a minute, but it brings up the question about whether singleness is some sort of spiritual gift from the Lord. You've probably heard this uh, concept that some people are endowed with the gift of singleness, but not everyone. Some people are called by God to live a life of celibacy and thus have the what's called the gift of singleness. We'll get into that 
uh, in just a little bit. And there's some debate about what that means. But I want you to see the main point that Paul's making right here in this passage. Paul's actually saying that both marriage and singleness are gifts from God. Do you see that? Each has their own gift, Paul says. He's saying, my, sing- my singleness is a gift. And he's saying, if you're married, that's a gift as well. That's a gift from God as well. Um, each has his or her own gift. So don't miss that same point or that, that main point. Whether you're single now and will later get married or you're single now and will never be married for the rest of your life, get this, your present season, right here, right now, whatever it is, in God's very good, very wise, very loving, perfect sovereignty is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Now, um, maybe you're in, your, uh, in a bad place in your marriage, or you've been, uh, like Pastor James talked about last week, uh, You've been made single through divorce, maybe not really your fault even. Uh, Or you're single and your heart and your body and your soul long to be married. I want you to be aware that even in this difficult season, even if it's been foisted upon you by some other human being, God says He works all things, all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So evil, wicked, even wickedness done to us will be used by God and God will turn that into a gift. Remember uh, Joseph thrown into a well, sold into slavery by his brothers. He told them to their face, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, right? Uh, and it ended up even saving those brothers. And so just be reminded of God's sovereignty over your life right now. He is still good. And your life with the Lord, despite your difficulty, is not out there once uh, you get married, single person. Your life with the Lord is not out there. Married person, if you're in a difficult season in your marriage, life with the Lord is not out there once you get your marriage fixed. Life with the Lord is right now. He's God right now. He's with you right now. He loves you right now. He has purpose for you right now, even in our difficulty. You know, there's this tendency. I'm going to make an aside here for a while. There's this tendency in the church uh, to separate our singleness in this box over here, from our relationship with the Lord, and this box over here. And that's where we get things twisted. And I think we do that, um, I think it's the church's fault, like the church by and large. Uh, So for that reason, I want to pause here. And I I want to talk about what I believe is one of the maybe most under-the-radar idols in the church, but it is an idol for sure, and that is the idol of marriage. That's what I said, right? The idol of marriage. But wait, wait, wait. You say, I, I thought that reach life, love marriage. I thought that you just said that marriage was, was like this uh, uh, holy institution given by God. Well, we do celebrate and love marriage, and it is a holy and sanctified institution given by God. But listen, although marriage is given by God, marriage is not God. You hear me? It is given by God, but it is not God. And here's what I mean. I mentioned when we first started here, that um, I had come back to church uh, after a long absence uh, from the Lord and the church. And, um, man, I was excited. I was in my late 20s. And when I got into the church, it was like everything was about marriage. It was weird. Everything in our we had Sunday school at that time. Everything was about marriage and, um, and not really about Jesus. And, um, you know, I think in the Christian church, we rightly see the destruction that divorce and things brings into 
people's lives. I've certainly been affected by divorce on both sides of my family, like at just way back. Many, most of you probably have too. Um, so we rightly see those things and we mourn it, and we should mourn that. And we rightly see broken marriages within the church, and we're like, man, that, that doesn't reflect Jesus very well. And we mourn that, and we should mourn that. But in our mourning, I think we often can wrongly take a subtle but certain shift uh, into making marriage rather than Jesus the focus of our ministries. Um, so in an effort to make more loving and devoted husbands and wives, we rightly teach biblical marriage principles, but we can often miss the point of it. Uh, we can make good husbands and fathers and wives and mothers and make really bad disciples of Jesus. We can. And man, if we, if we do that, uh, we've missed the point. Or, or we can end up teaching people marriage principles, but they're far away from the Lord altogether. And ultimately then, when the day is done, they aren't great husbands our wives, our fathers, our mothers, because they've forgotten their first love. So you can't, therefore, truly love their spouse and family as God intended for them to do because in an ultimate sense, they will fail to love their spouses because they have failed to teach their spouses and help their spouses love Jesus well. I say, haven't we seen this, right? This is what happens when we make an idol out of marriage. We seek to have marriage, and this is getting back to the single thing, we can seek to have marriage as the solution for our fulfillment. Rather than finding our fulfillment in Christ alone, we make marriage an idol. And it'll leave our souls wanting, man. Idols never satisfy. You guys realize? Idols of any kind, even of a good thing, uh, such as marriage. The human soul is designed in such a way that only God ultimately satisfies the deepest longings of our soul. Only God can do that. And the reason is, it's because A, he alone deserves to be in that position, and B, because it's better for us anyway. He's designed us in that way. So single woman, no other person will satisfy the deepest longings of your soul before marriage or during marriage than Jesus Christ. Single man, no other human being will satisfy the deepest longings of your soul, either before or during marriage, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one. So if we're putting our hopes in uh, a future spouse to make us happy and whole, I'm going to be real plain. You're deluding yourself. They can't. They're not designed to, right? And, and not only will you end up um, leaving yourself unfulfilled, you're going to crush that other person if you ever do get married. They're not meant to bear that weight. They cannot. You're asking them to do something only Jesus can do. So seek Jesus first, and he will indeed fulfill you. And then and only then will you be uh, free and whole to give love and receive love as God has intended uh, for it to be done. Um, And as I mentioned, another result of the church making an idol out of marriage is again that um, as a single, you may feel like, man, once I get married, then my relationship with the Lord can start. Then I can have this robust, or maybe you know, it becomes married and then kids, and then I can have this really robust relationship with the Lord. No, no, no. A thousand times no, <laughs> right? Uh, remember, remember um, in our passages today, Jesus said, some choose singleness. Why? For the sake of the kingdom of God. Paul is saying, 
He wished all were single like him. Why? It's good for the kingdom of God. So think about this question. It's coming up on the screen. Is it accurate to think that a life dedicated to the Lord Jesus and his kingdom above all else is somehow lacking or missing something? I'm going to read it one more time. Think, Think about it. Is it accurate to think that a life dedicated to the Lord Jesus and his kingdom above all else is somehow lacking or missing something? No, that's not accurate. Even if that thing is marriage or kids or anything like that. As Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest, not in marriage, in Him. In fact, you won't even find rest in your marriage until you first find rest in the Lord, right? That's that's the order of things. That's how it works. So the married heart, the single heart, all must find their full rest in Christ Jesus. Um, This is what in this, this primary passage Jesus is saying these people are doing. They're finding their rest in Jesus. You know, back in Matthew 19, Jesus says these eunuchs are separating themselves from all idols, not only the idol of marriage, but also the idol of sexual experience as well. Now, marriage itself is not an idol. Let's be reminded. It's a gift from God, but we can make it an idol. Likewise, sexual experience is not an idol. It's a gift from God, but we can make it an idol when we seek it in ways um, that God has not prescribed. And if we do, in that case, we're making sexual fulfillment uh, to be before God in our lives, and we're worshiping the idol of our lusts. So this brings us back to the reasons that Jesus and Paul talk about the virtues and goodness of singleness. They say it is for the glory, or should be, for the glory of God. Now, is that how you view singleness? If you're a single person, listen, if you're married in here, Uh, We need to ask, I'm one of you, we need to ask these questions about singleness of ourselves. We all know single people. How are we ministering to single people? Do we view singleness as a gift from God? Listen, this is not the common view. This is not the American view of singleness, is it? Singleness, uh, we tend to think of singleness as like an opportunity uh, to keep our options open, right? We we think of singleness uh, as an opportunity to do whatever we want. And honestly, we don't want to get married because marriage might make us sacrifice a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm cool doing me right now, right? Um, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, Tim Keller points that out. He says, Adults in Western society are deeply shaped by individualism, a fear of e- and even hatred of limiting options for the sake of others. Many people are living single lives today, not in the conscious, lonely misery of wanting marriage too much, but rather in the largely unconscious, lonely misery of wanting marriage too little out of fear of it. Do you catch that? Man, we see this a lot. We see people want freedom from restrictions, a.k.a. accountability that comes with marriage, man. Uh, So they put it off as long as they can. Or I've, I've even seen some people um, who are married try to de- live in such a way that denies they're married, that they're accountable to another person. There's another person uh, covenanted with them because they want to spend their lives with them and not have the guy off with the guys all the time and doing their thing or the lady off pretending she's single, right? Um, we see this all the time. Um, you know, this is one big reason we see people whose, whose driver's license say they're adults uh, but the way they live is like their adolescence. We see it all the time. They don't want restrictions. They don't want accountability. And so there's a, uh, there's a tendency 
in that, in the human heart, uh, to kind of be afraid of marriage. Um, but like I said, it's not only a, a single problem, it's a married problem too, because we see the same heart in married people. So the problem isn't singleness, the problem is selfishness. Um, Sam Alberry wrote a book, Seven Myths About Singleness. He says, the issue is not a state of marriage or a state of singleness. Both are gifts. The issue is our heart and what's motivating us. So let's look at some good motives then that Paul talks about. We're going to jump into 1 Corinthians 7 here. Paul gives some very good motives and advantages of being single, um, specifically for the kingdom of God. Verse 32, 1 Corinthians 7. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And all the married men said, Amen. Uh, Verse 34, And his interests are divided. And the unmarried man or betrothed, uh, unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And all the married women said, Amen. I say this for your own benefit, Paul says, not to lay in any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying a married person has a whole other person to please right? and to serve and to divide their time with. Uh, those things can be great for sure, but they also take serving and time and energy. And Paul says they come with a decent amount of anxiety. Married folks, am I telling the truth? It's just the truth. We're, we're real. We're, gonna talk, we're family. We're talk real, right? It's, it comes with a certain amount of anxiety. Well, what if you don't have all those additional things to worry about. Paul and Jesus say it's a gift for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's what they say. But I want you to notice something that's implied. If you spend your singleness on yourself, hey, this is a great gift from God for me, right? You missed the point. That's not the point they're making. Uh, If you're single, I want you to pause and ask yourself some hard questions. Are you discontent in being single and why? Are you discontent in being single and why? Is it possibly because you're wasting singleness on yourself rather than using it for its intended purpose, the kingdom of God? Um, And here's how you can know. Do you view singleness as a gift or as a burden? And let's, let's narrow it down a little more. If you view it as a gift, who's it a gift for? This is a gift for me. No, it's not. It's a gift for you to use for the kingdom of God. That's how we can get um, to the heart of the matter. Are we treating it that it's a gift for ourselves or that it's a gift to ourselves for the Lord? It's on some good background music, man. It's awesome. Uh, So it's only in recognizing that singleness is a gift from the Lord and for the Lord that we can live, man, with life with purpose and, and vitality as a single, as God wants us to do. Um, and that brings us back to this idea of, uh, we touched on earlier, is the gift of singleness. The gift of singleness. Do, do, do certain people um, have a gift of singleness? I'll answer the question. For me, I think, yes, there are some people who are exceptions to the rule, 
who have uh, been called to a lifetime of singleness for the sake of the kingdom. I do believe there are people like that. And Jesus said some are even that way from birth. Right? It's no, no, no fault of their own, right? Clearly, God has ordained them for such a life. And I would add that others, like the Apostle Paul, seem to be geared for that uh, with a disposition or that's suited for singleness. But it's still important to note, it doesn't necessarily mean that singleness is easy for that person. It would be very reasonable to think that it wasn't even easy for Paul. Um, I would imagine that there were indeed likely times of loneliness for Paul and sorrow. Paul talks about in the Scriptures, sometimes his life was so tough, he despaired even of life itself, right? Uh, going through shipwrecks and, uh, and all these things. Um, there were times where Paul laments in his writings that he was left alone. Everybody abandoned him, right? Well, had he been in a covenant of marriage, he would have had somebody to help bear that burden with him. He wouldn't have been alone. So there's no doubt in my mind um, that there were painful times for Paul. There's also no doubt in my mind that God provided what Paul needed uh, to remain single and faithful. Um, His testimony is that he was content in all things. He says in all seasons he was content. Um, Do you know that you can be in pain and still be content in the Lord? Do you know that? You really can. You really can, and Paul's testament is a testament to that. So there are some, like Paul, that are called to a lifelong uh, commitment to uh, celibacy and singleness. But as I said, um, it's not a commitment to themselves for their sake. It's a commitment to the Lord for His sake. Um, and if you, let me just say, if you think that might be you, if you think, you know what, I've been wrestling with this idea, I wonder if, I wonder if I'm called to a lifetime of singleness. I mean, if that's you, we'd love to talk with you um, and explore that idea. It, it could be so. We could, we could kind of uh, look in Scripture and pray together and, and see about that, and we could work together on some ways that God could use you uh, for His kingdom and His glory. We want to help direct those uh, purposes as, as God would have. But again, I would say that people like that are the exception to the rule. I, I would imagine, my guess is there's very few people uh, so, for, so for the vast majority of us then who don't have the gift of singleness, I want us to see singleness as a gift, right? Singleness as a gift. It's not a curse from God. It's just as much as, as a gift from God as the gift of singleness is. Uh, for however long you remain single, whatever season that looks like for you, you have a gift that us buried folks don't have. And so I, I want to put a real fine point on it. Use your singleness for the building of the kingdom of God. Do not waste your singleness. Do not waste it. Um, You know, I've said it takes all God's people to do all God's work. God's work requires time and flexibility and energy. And single people have that in spades more than married people do. Or they should. If you don't, if you're a single person, you're like, I don't have any energy. I don't have any time. I don't, I don't. I'm spent already. Well, um, let's talk about that. I think one of the biggest hindrances um, in the single life for having an impact in the kingdom of God is that we approach life in general, the kingdom of God, and our singleness as consumers rather than producers. Consumers rather than producers. I read a great article a few years ago, or from a few years ago, by a guy named Marshall uh, Siegel. 
And I want you to hang with me for a minute because I'm going to put wheels on this thing. This is very practical. If you find yourself single, but you don't have margin to build the kingdom of God, he's going to give some real practical tips on why that might be and how to remedy it. First thing he says, he says we should avoid trading marital distractions for other distractions. <laughs> right? So if, we, if we're um, adding distractions into our lives so that we don't have to listen to our loneliness <laughs> or, or whatever, we're missing the point of what Paul says. Paul says, listen, it's good to be single. You don't have all these distractions. You can, you can devote yourself to the kingdom of God. But if we're single and we have all these distractions, we're still missing the kingdom, <laughs> work for the kingdom of God. Um, he says, um, uh, Siegel says that we can often distract ourselves in this way. He says, Paul may, this is not coming up on the screen, so listen up. Paul may have been right about our freedom from spousal concerns. Single people never have trouble finding their share of diversions. In fact, if you're like me, he was a single guy, you crave diversion and tend to default there whether it's Sports Center or Downton Abbey or working out, fancy eating, endless blogging or, and blog reading, surveying social media, or conquering the latest game. We might call it resting, but too often it looks, smells, and sounds a lot like we're wasting our singleness. Everything, he says, just mentioned can be done for God's glory, and it can all be a dangerous distraction from it. If you deny the latter, you may need to put down the smartphone, controller, or treadmill. Look for ways Satan might be undermining your mission with short and simple pleasures. You may not need to eliminate it, but limit it and look for ways to welcome others into your life through it. Right? So that was the first one. Avoid those types of distractions. He also says be available to meet spontaneous needs. You know, as a single person, one of the greatest gifts you have is the ability to say yes to things. Right, you uh, can uh, if you've got this margin in your life, you've got time for a, uh, an impromptu phone conversation. Somebody's like, "Man, I I'm struggling with um, pornography right now. Can I call you?" Yes, yes, you can. Um, even a married person, your friends are like, "Man, I'm 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 really having a hard time in my marriage. I just need to be with somebody and talk. Can you come over?" Yep, sure can. Sure can't come over. We can have coffee, man. You can help somebody move. You can step in when somebody's sick. You can give people rides to places. You have a gift of an amazing ability to say yes to things for the sake of the kingdom of God. He also says, practice selflessness while you're still alone. Let me just abbreviate that section and say, uh, selflessness will not get easier when you get married. Okay? So you have a gift right now. Um, you can pr start practicing it now. You can, um, again, make, go make meals for someone. You can, um, it, it, a lot of times singles are, are struggling financially too. It doesn't have to be money. You got time, man. You got energy. You can do some things. Be selfless while you're single. Uh, he says, do radical time-consuming things for God. Again, you've got more time to dream bigger. Start a daily prayer meeting, he says. Uh, start an outreach. Commit to multiple discipleship relationships, like being discipled and making a disciple. That would be amazing. We would consider that a win as a church. Um, organize a community project. Do all of the above. He said, you'd be surprised with God's Spirit in you and a resolve to spend your singleness well, 
how much you and your single friends are truly capable of, especially when you dream and work together. Right? I'll put a little caveat in there. Also, as a single, you need to be willing to say no to people. These things have to be in balance, right? They have to be in balance. If you're spread too thinly, you're no, you're no use. You're going to end up sick and, and, and all those things. So, but I want to challenge you, man. Uh, as Reach Life Church, singles, we need you. Like, we, we need you. <laughs> if you're um, watching online or listening online and you're part of another church and you're single, they need you. They need you. And I would encourage you to, to roll up your sleeves. Man, you, you may never get married. You may get married in the next 10 years. You may have plans to already get married next year. Um, but right now, in this season, whatever that season is, God wants to use you for his kingdom purposes. And that's where you're going to find the contentment that you're, that you're looking for. And, and listen, if that's you, if you're single, Pastor James and I want to talk to you more. We want to talk to you about, okay, I've got these diversions. How do I get rid of these diversions and, and I roll my sleeves up and, and put boots on for the kingdom of God? Let's do that. Let's do that uh, together. We believe that, again, it takes all God's people to do all God's work. And in his sovereignty, he has you around us crazy folks. So let's find out how, what he wants to do. What does he want to do? Um, he wants to do it through us. He's put us together. So let's do that. Last thing. While you wait... Hope in Jesus more than marriage. And this is key to everything else. Hope in Jesus more than marriage. Again, as I said, only Jesus can ultimately satisfy your soul anyway, in marriage or in singleness. So live for him. And um, one of the ways that you can do that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to the married folks as well on this. Married people, we mean well. But when all you want to talk about to the single person is that they're single, and man, have, have so any, any women in your life right now? Right? Any, any, uh, hey, are you, are you two dating? I see you together a lot. You guys, you guys dating or, um, you know, would you be willing to go on a date with my wife's cousin's roommate's brother? Right? You know, uh, married people have pickup lines. You know, as you focused on the harvest, you'll find a partner. Right? You'll find a helper. You know, now when people, when people, Listen, we mean well, married people. We do. We want you to, single people, we want you to enjoy the, the goodness of marriage and God has. And so we, you know, we, it's, it's out of concern. But single people, help us. When you find your contentment in Jesus, you can preach to us the gospel when we mean really well, but we've misplaced that your, your fulfillment is not in finding a, a spouse. Remind us. Your fulfillment is in Jesus, and you are content in your singleness. You're content to be married in 10 years or never or next year or next week. You're content in Jesus. And, and listen, once you do that, that's the kind of person that you want to marry anyway. You're being that kind of person who's content in Jesus. And when you marry someone else, you can help them be content in Jesus because you already were before you got married, right? So single, single people, trust in Jesus. Jesus is enough. And he has a life for you that is so much more rich and meaningful and deep and true than you could ever cobble together for yourself by distractions apart from the kingdom of God. So live for him. And that's where life is to the full. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And Pastor James is going to come lead us in the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for your kindness and goodness. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are enough. You're enough for the single person. You're enough for the married person. You're enough for the not yet married person. You are simply enough. Lord Jesus, thank you that you were so committed to the kingdom of God that you not only uh, chose to be single, but you chose to give your life. As we turn to that now, help us to think about what you've done. As Pastor James introduces the Lord's table, help us to remember your sacrifice on our behalf and help us to, in turn, be willing to sacrifice our own desires, our own uh, motives, our own lives for you, Lord, and find true life in you. In Christ's name.